0: Chapter Twelve of *The Cruise of the Falcon* by E. F. Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve, Cordoba. On the morrow after our arrival, we sallied forth to inspect the city. We found ourselves once more in a civilized center, for tramways, American bars, and French cafes have followed the railway and now relieve the sense of oppression and ennui which pervades the atmosphere of the slow grave old university town we had been awakened early by the ringing of many bells and many old churches so had a good day before us to explore the streets and handsome squares of the city of priests and women for indeed priests and women seemed to form the bulk of the population of cordoba the frailes are a sour looking lot enough though some of the young clericals are regular petty maters in their way and seem to have quite a feminine taste for lace and millinery the women are not gifted with much beauty with the exception of course of those of the high caste pure white spanish beauties who are invariably dressed in the latest paris fashion but of these there are but very few all the others are half breeds of a particularly disagreeable dark, muddy complexion and possessing the harsh Indian type of feature. Indeed, the population hereabouts has no right to rank itself with white men at all. These people are but the mongrel descendants of Indians that have been tamed by the Jesuits. This extensive crossing of the Spanish with the Indian blood has, in the opinion of those who know, proved to be a great curse to these countries. FOR THE RESULT HAS BEEN A USELESS BREED THAT CUMBERS THE FACE OF THE EARTH. NOT AS IN NORTH AMERICA WHERE THE ABORIGINAL RACES HAVE VANISHED LIKE SMOKE BEFORE THE ADVANCE OF THE WHITE MAN AND HIS CIVILIZATION. HERE THE INDIAN BLOOD HAS MINGLED WITH THAT OF THE LATIN COLONISTS, OVERPOWERED IT INDEED AND IMBUED IT WITH ITS OWN BARBARISM, SO THAT IN MANY REGIONS THE CONQUERORS HAVE ADOPTED THE MANNERS, DRESS AND EVEN LANGUAGE OF THE CONQUERED TRIBES the negro and mulatto belles of the west indies know how to set off and match their complexion and peculiar style of beauty with appropriate dress and gaudy tints but the indo-spanish half-breed and china of cordoba envelops herself from head to foot in a shabby-looking black shawl or sheet which especially when rusty with age does not tend to show off to advantage her muddy face though her toilet be thus simple and does not entail heavy milliners and chapelleri bills the Chinabelle belle is very particular in one respect boots she must have a pair of nice fitting french style boots no more acceptable present can you make your cordovan sweetheart should you have the bad taste to possess one than uno par de botas nuevas cordova by the way like its namesake in old spain is a great place for the working of leather and its damsels evidently consider that there is nothing like leather, and despise all other additions to their doubtful charms. When the traveler has explored the cathedral with its massive gilding, the university, and some of the curious old churches, life is too short to visit them all, he cannot do better than light his cigar and stroll around the two great squares, the Plaza 25 de Mayo and the Alameda. There is a great contrast between these two. The latter is strictly old world and Spanish. A solemnity pervades a severe enclosure, deserted as it generally is, save for some silent stocking fraile with shovel hat or black draped china, well harmonizing with the spot. This square is laid out with strictest mathematical regularity. Round it are the usual white, grated windowed, one storied houses, with no shop windows gay with display of goods, lifeless, prison like a lake of water occupies the center of the alameda in the middle of which is an island cut into some mathematical figure with a bright white temple of greek architecture on it there is a cold artificial confined look about the whole place that seems strikingly emblematic of the old life of the ecclesiastical stronghold austere working in a narrow groove never looking beyond its own limited horizon of the cloister wall Rows of fine willows once bordered this lake, but during the tremendous hurricane that swept over Cordoba two years back, all of these were uprooted. This must have been a fearful tempest. It bent double every heavy iron and brazen cross that tops the manifold steeples of this city of churches, and thus they still remain as we saw them, sloping all one way, a sign to the traveler of what a South American pompero can do at times this dreamy alameda so lonely and stern of aspect that one would imagine it had never been awakened to any show of life save by the excitement of some auto de fe of heathen indians does wake up in a languid sort of way once a day towards the late afternoon when the shadows of the sierra come down to the city and the southern cross with a myriad stars begin to illuminate the delightful night of inland south america the haughty spanish beauties come forth in their carriages and drive round and round the lake for three-quarters of an hour or so while a considerable crowd of chinas and others of the lower orders promenade on foot marvelling at the white beauty of the upper caste the other square the plaza Veinticinco de mayo is in the centre of the city and it is far more lively than the gloomy alameda for it is here that the energetic money-making gringos most do congregate fine shops and brilliant cafés surround it at one side is the old gothic cathedral perhaps the finest specimen of medieval architecture in the new world a pleasant and well-tended garden occupies a centre with two avenues crossing it diagonally from the corners of the square as is the fashion of most of the old spanish plazas shrubs splashing fountains and winding walks fill up the interspace here every evening the military band plays excellently the enchanting airs of old spain a visit to the north market in the early morning is worth the while to the european stranger ugly old women and girls half-bred indians from the country sit on the bare ground all over the quaint old enclosure not chattering over much nor importuning the passer-by to purchase but rather stolidly sucking the perpetual mate through the bombilla each wrapped in the black funereal shroud i have described squatting in front of her small stock of wares some have but a little mound of algorobapods, pods maize or alfalfa before them about sixpenny worth in all which nevertheless they have perhaps brought hither several leagues travelling on foot through the night others vend melons wheaten cakes and strange fruits while hide horse Horsegear, old and new, has its separate corner of the market allotted to it. And boots, of course, that chief production of Cordoba, are temptingly laid out in long rows before the marketing china. We loafed about the ancient city for three days, made a trip to some of the pleasant vales at the foot of the Sierra, and then prepared for our ride to Tucumán. There is an English photographer established in Cordoba, who alone of any we met, had undertaken the journey from here to santiago del estero from him accordingly we procured a description of the old tropia track and a list of the good halting places this track which is a portion of that great route across south america along which in the olden days the strings of jingling mules were wont to bring the bars of silver from the mines of potosí to buenos Aires, has been deserted by travelers since the construction of the tucuman railway the caravans of wagons from the interior now alone make use of it. From Cordova to Santiago del Estero, the capital of the province of the same name, is, according to some, 130 Cordovan leagues, three and a half miles to a league. According to others, more. The latter, I think, are right, for the track winds considerably, and we were sixteen days accomplishing the distance, riding at no mean pace for about twelve hours each day the railway to tucuman strikes straight across the salinas or salt deserts an almost impracticable route for horses for apart from lack of pasture and fresh water there are times when after heavy rains in the sierras a strong wind blows the waters toward the desert in a mass so that they roll over it like the red sea during pharaoh's famous march and convert the salt plain into a broad inland sea with no land visible on any horizon the railway is carried along a raised bank which is always above the level of the inundation on the other hand the road to tucuman via santiago sweeps one hundred miles to the eastward of the railway skirts the salt desert and winds among the undulating hills of the province of santiago one of the poorest and most thinly populated of the republic a mere jungle for the most part lying between the salinas on one side and the indian hunting grounds of el chaco beyond the great rio salado on the other a province between two deserts this country according to our friend the photographer would not fail to interest us for its scenery is picturesque and it is inhabited by a primitive people poor yet hospitable dignified and courteous and preserving all the manners and customs of their ancestors the old conquistadores who came here under pizarro ages ago the santiagenas however are much hated and feared by the argentines of the south having acquired an unenviable reputation as bandits murderers and cattle lifters let me anticipate somewhat by stating that among this ill-famed people we met with greater kindness and hospitality than in any other of the five provinces which we traversed in this expedition the Santiagenas, it is true, return the compliment by accusing the Cordobans of being the greatest assassins and thieves in South America. The Cordobans, in their turn, heartily abuse both their neighbors of Santa Fe and Santiago, and so it is throughout the Republic. But all unite in giving a very bad character, indeed, to the men of Santiago. As far as my experience, and that of others who know these countries better, goes the reports as to the dangers of traveling in this part of south america are grossly exaggerated i do not suppose it would be quite prudent to walk all over the republic alone and unarmed but it would still be less prudent to do so in many countries in europe i know of organized bands of banditti as they have in mexico are quite unknown here unless it may be in revolution times when every south american becomes more or less a brigand for the nonce considering how impotent the arm of justice is in these remote provinces that there is practically no police and that these vast montes could shelter large bands of robbers and enable them to defy the authorities with absolute impunity it is wonderful that there is so little crime it is indeed creditable to these poor half-breeds that left to themselves as they are they should be so law-observing and orderly mule trains laden with silver dollars often make enormous journeys here without an armed escort being deemed necessary to accompany them if the people that inhabited these wild steppes were of anglo-saxon blood it strikes me that this would hardly be the case and that in the absence of other law that of judge Lynch and the vigilance committee would soon become necessary we were now to leave the land of paper so we had to supply ourselves at the cordoba branch of the london and river plate bank with chiroles small silver bolivian coins which are current in the northern provinces and others of anything but pure silver bearing on one side an impression of the blessed cinchona tree the value of a very few sovereigns in this spurious metal weighs somewhat so we had to divide these coins among the party and no small addition did they make to our baggage we were strongly recommended to take a native peon with us and a friend at the bank found us the very man a regular ruffin he said doubtlessly an old horse-thief and therefore the very one to see that your horses are not stolen a native endowed with that wonderful instinct every true gaucho possesses which enables him when yet afar off to detect the presence of water or pasture to tell where a river can be forded with the least difficulty and the like, a very useful man. You will find, perhaps, he continued, that he will like to hurry over some portions of the road, as he is wanted in more than one place. This indeed we found to be the case. On one occasion we became aware that he was taking us by a very circuitous route to the place we wished to reach. The following conversation then ensued Is there not a way shorter than this one, Manuel? How know, senor? There is a road a little shorter. Then why have you not taken it? Because, senor, I know someone on that short cut. He said this simply, without further comment, as if this was the most natural reason in the world. I suppose he once had a misfortune there—South American euphemism for having murdered a man—and was being looked out for by revengeful relatives of the deceased. This worthy called on us at the Europa and much disappointed us by his appearance. We expected to see a regular cutthroat looking bandit in pancho, charipas, and massive silver spurs with a long knife at his back. But Manuel was a very different-looking person. With the exception of the alpagadas on his feet, his dress was in no respect that of the orthodox South American Bravo. He was clad in a light, tweed cutaway coat and trousers the present of some englishman very worn and ragged his face dark and bearded though it was had no ferocity in its expression his smile was bland and amiable as that of the heathen Chinese. here we had a pleasant-looking weather-beaten middle-aged man rather down at the heels disreputable undoubtedly but no fit model for a melodramatic villain there was something in the face of this terrible being that pleased us, so we soon struck a bargain with him. He engaged to ride with us to Tucumán as our peon and supply his own horse. Have you got a horse, Manuel? asked Jardin. Como no, señor. Then we will start tomorrow morning. This Manuel did not seem to approve of. My horse is twenty leagues from here, he said. By the day after tomorrow I can bring it and be ready to start thus it was arranged jerdine uncharitably suggested when manuel had turned his back that he was not in the possession of any definite distinct horse but looked upon all horses as more or less his property and only required this space of twenty-four hours to enable him to pick out from the neighboring camps a steed to his liking poor manuel i hardly think this was fair though suspiciously enough he did have no gulia for his horse when the said beast turned up anyhow if he had appropriated another's he had made a good selection for that horse proved to be the hardiest of our troop manuel himself too turned out to be a most excellent fellow very useful honest and obliging we parted with sorrow on both sides when the journey was completed as Arnod's horse showed some tendency to soar back, he purchased another, a big black X racer, and we converted his old Colorado into a baggage animal. This change of duty the animal much appreciated. Arnod, to begin with, is no featherweight. Now he had but a light burden to bear and had it much his own way on the journey. He could trot on ahead and feed on some clumps of delicate grass till we came up. Then, trot on again at his own sweet will so long as he kept up with the rest of the party and showed no tendency to roll and disarrange his burden as he generally did after his girths were tightened up we formed quite an imposing troop as we fell in early on the morning of the seventeenth of march in front of the hotel first came the baggage animal with our saddlebags on his back also a sack of necessaries for camp life we had purchased in cordova and bombias an asador a yard and a half of bologna sausage to fall back on in the wilderness a supply of sugar yerba mate pepper salt and sulphate of quinine for it was the season of cuchu and tucuman goodly ribs of beef and some of the little flat loaves of the country and of course tobacco a kettle dangled melodiously at his neck after this animal, who thus bore on his responsible back all that appertained to the baggage, commissariat, and ambulance departments, came we three gringos, in top boots and ponchos, each armed with a big revolver and a big bottle, the latter to be filled, when occasion offered, with caña and water. Then followed the sage Manuel, armed with his perpetual cigarette, looking in his seedy cutaway, far less bandit-like than the rest of the party he was mounted on a strange lean black horse with bloodshot eyes a dissipated-looking beast and seemingly quite incapable of accomplishing so long a journey but manuel knew what he was about and when we criticized his mount he would smile and say es muy guapo you will see we did see and wondered this was a horse from the pampas and unlike our own had never been taught to eat hard food Thus, in the pastureless lands we traversed, the poor beast positively starved for days. He stood and looked on with astonishment when our horses greedily ate algarroba or maize, but he himself disdained to satisfy his hunger with these. It was but occasionally he came across edible grass, yet, marvelous to say, this horse that seemed to exist on air was fresher every night and in better condition when we reached Tucuman than our own better fed animals he was muy guapo with a vengeance a gaucho's horse like the gaucho himself is as tough as nails and capable of enduring with stoical resignation hunger thirst and fatigue we rode down to the primero the broad river which runs along the north side of the city crossed it by a fine stone bridge and soon found ourselves in the open, uncultivated country on the old Tropia track, marked by the deep ruts of the lumbering wagons. When we were still near the town, Manuel rode up to my side and, pointing to a cluster of mud ranchos some few hundred yards off to the right of our road, said, rather shyly, I have a sweetheart up there. The gaucho, I must tell you, is like the Eastern European— rather bashful when alluding to his love relations well i replied i suppose she would like you to say good-bye to her as you pass by quien sabe said manuel with a shrug of the shoulders but this hesitatingly she is very poor is anita he then explained that this damsel was under his sole protection and that he should like to have an advance of a few dollars on his wages to enable her to live during his absence this dulcinea was certainly not very extravagant in her menage for manuel said he only wanted about fourteen shillings this would quite suffice her while he was away about a month we gave him his fourteen shillings and off he galloped to the rancho of his love after no doubt an affecting farewell he returned smiling and told us that the senorita sent us her respects and wished the caballeros a safe journey i am grieved to say another lady turned up in tucuman who likewise had claims on manuel's purse our attendant was evidently a regular rouet it will be very difficult to avoid monotony and repetition in my narrative of this ride each day's journey it is true showed us some new features to admire in the scenery and vegetation but it cannot be expected that the reader will appreciate the meagre description of the ever-changing beauties of this summer land as we did the delightful reality monotony we found none all was fair strange and new to us this morning we passed the tropia a picturesque and old-world sight slowly it came toward us a long train of huge lumbering wagons drawn by mules solidly built of the hard red wood with no springs or iron in their construction creaking and groaning horribly miles off one could hear the weird lamentation of the tortured timber these wagons were laden with hides strange and wild-looking men in the gay-colored ponchos of the north rode alongside them and behind followed a large number of spare mules the chief of the caravan was better dressed than the rest wore boots with silver spurs and a valuable poncho of vicuna like hair while a brazen trumpet swung by his side with which he sounded his orders from one end of the caravan to the other. As we passed, the two parties greeted each other in stately Spanish fashion, and Manuel asked a few questions from the chief as to the state of the road, the rivers and fords, and how many days they were out, whence they had come, whither they were bound, for travelers on these great steps hail each other and exchange news very much in the same way as two vessels meeting in mid-ocean. The discipline of a tropia indeed very much resembles that of a ship this south american caravan has its captain whose powers over his wild subordinates are as great as that of the sea captain nay greater for there is no inquiry on reaching port in this lawless land should he even have inflicted death while chastising a mutinous bayon there is no south american plimsoll for the crews of the caravan these tropias undertake enormous journeys extending over many months journeys whose length may be measured by thousands of miles the men are generally armed so as to be able to resist any hostile indians they may encounter on their lonely way when attacked they form their wagons in a ring and fight behind them somewhat in the fashion of south african boers the foremost wagon of the line of march is often provided with a small cannon on a swivel the railways however have now to a considerable extent done away with this as with many other of the picturesque features of argentine life about midday we came across another small tropia halting by the side of the track among the mimosas the men in their picturesque garb lay about lazily smoking while a juicy asado was grilling temptingly over their fire and a huge demijohn of red wine from the Andes lay among the flowers ready for the meal. The physiognomy of the men and the whole scene recalled vividly to my mind the wayside descriptions one reads in Don Quixote and Blas. So lonely is the land we now traversed that we only came across one more tropilla for the next 300 miles of our journey. Other travelers, none." just as our appetites told us that it was time for our own midday meal we came to a public house this was a mud hut shaped like a sentry box about five feet high and four feet broad the side towards the road was open and there stood a little table covered with a very dirty bit of native lace on this were laid out all the resources of the establishment the whole capital of the enterprising owner this consisted of one square-faced bottle of vile gin a tumbler three wheaten cakes some tails of strong black tobacco and several watermelons at first this establishment seemed to be deserted but on looking over the table we perceived the attendant barmaid for there squatting on the mud floor was a very ugly half-breed girl apathetically sucking mate through a black bombilla Evidently troubling herself very little as to whether travelers patronized her restaurant or not. These Argentines are a very independent lot and won't go out of their way to ask you to employ them. If you purchase anything at a store, they serve you with an air as if they were conferring a great favor on you. The servility and importunity of a London tradesman would astonish and disgust them. The lady rose from the mud with a gesture of annoyance at being disturbed and for a real sold us the large watermelon delicious on this sultry day we gathered some wood lit a fire by the side of the track and over it cooked a succulent asado of the ribs of beef we had brought with us in the commissariat sack we invited the bitter barmaid to join us at lunch she melted and smilingly acquiesced so we all sat down and fell to with our fingers native fashion the caña we had brought with us washed down the roast. Then the mate was prepared and handed round from one to the other, our horses the while rolling in the grass and enjoying the rich herbage. The barmaid now waxed quite loquacious. In reply to our queries, she sighed and said she was solitaria. Her husband was serving as a soldier on the Indian frontier, forced into the army for merely stealing a miserable horse, she indignantly explained having enjoyed our meal and our siesta we collected our gear saddled our horses and bid adieu to the ugly grass widow who insisted on standing us a glass of her vile gin all around we went at a hand-gallop over the undulating plain of bush and flowers whose sole inhabitants seemed to be parrots vultures and biscotches, until we reached jesus maria a small village thirty-three miles from cordova this is an old decayed jesuit settlement there is a fine old church in it and the ruins of a convent solid and grand towering over a clump of sordid ranchos and grass-grown streets just outside the town are a few small plantations of maize beyond the wilderness of thorn it was curious to see this stately ecclesiastical edifice among such surroundings as foreign to it as were its builders the old jesuit missionaries to the savage natives of the country there is a very fair tienda at jesus maria quite a luxurious hotel for this country where our horses and selves were well fed and lodged for the night one is very lucky if he gets a bed at all when traveling in these provinces the argentine of the camps does not need such a thing he sleeps anywhere out of doors by preference and if he have a warm blanket he considers that he has all that the most fastidious could require when the traveler does get a bed as we did this night it will be what is called a cotre, which consists of a wooden frame with strips of hide strapped across it the catre is generally too short for a decently tall man his head will hang over one end his legs over the other unless he curl himself up like the domestic whiting as in the east the traveler is supposed to bring his own bedding with him AS THE NATIVE SADDLE CONSISTS OF A MASS OF PONCHOS AND BLANKETS LASHED ON TO A WOODEN FRAME ON THE HORSES' BACK, WHAT WAS SADDLE BY DAY SERVES ADMIRABLY AS BEDDING BY NIGHT. OUR THIS NIGHT'S BEDROOM WAS AN APARTMENT STRIKING FOR ITS unostatious SIMPLICITY. THE WALLS AND FLOORS WERE OF MUD. THERE WAS NO FIREPLACE, NO WINDOW, NO FURNITURE, NOTHING INDEED BUT FOUR CATRES ARRANGED IN A ROW there was no door either to the doorway, so we enjoyed ample ventilation. Privacy is not much valued here. If one feels dirty in the morning, no uncommon matter with a filthy Britisher, one must sally forth to the horse-pond or to the well to perform one's ablutions. But this country is not intended for the over-fastidious traveler. End of chapter 12